listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Uh, we're starting a new series today. Uh, I had planned on doing our Jesus is Greater Than Urban Legend series through the end of October. That was my plan. When I went down to begin to study this week, I just had no peace about that. I felt like we were done with that series. It was all gold. Gold hits, everybody. But, but I felt like we had to do something new, and I was like, God, what is that new thing? And so welcome to brand new you. It's brand new university. We got kids that are going back to school, college-age students that are going back. I thought, what a perfect opportunity to talk about who God made us to be as a new creation in Christ. And as I was thinking about this series and specifically about today, uh, I was just grateful that God interrupted my plans. I was grateful that he gave me this message. And by the way, is anybody else grateful that you got a pastor that's going to try at least to follow the Holy Ghost? And that's, that's really what you want. I like my cute little series and graphics, but I'm going to tell you something. It's not by po- might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And we need to yield to his strength in all that we do. Let me read for you out of Jude chapter 1 to launch this whole thing. Uh, actually, Jude only has one, so we'll say Jude 3. <laughs> I was very diligent, the Bible says, to write you concerning our common salvation. Everybody say common salvation. When I went to Bible college way down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I, this is back a long time ago. I'm dating myself a little bit. It was in my first semester that I got my first cell phone, a Motorola Razor. Anybody else in the town? Yeah, exactly. It was awesome. And I was cutting edge. Not everybody had a cell phone. We had a corded phone in the house. I told my son, um, we had the power outage at our house last night, and I said, somebody must have hit a telephone pole. And Aurelia says, what's a telephone pole? Yikes, you're old. And so anyway, uh, the, the, the biggest thing that meant that I was away from my family, I grew up just north of the church, so I was a thousand miles from home. The thing that told me I had arrived and I'm independent is when I got my first package in the mail that was addressed towards me and not my parents. You know what I'm saying? I am free, and this is re- And I had a sign for it, and I said, I'd love to sign for that. You know, And I took my time, every letter, baby, I'm, I'm writing that out. And in many ways, that is exactly what happens when you accept Christ. You get a package in the mail, so to speak. And the Bible says that it's a common salvation. And people think, is it common? Like, like, we shouldn't call God's salvation common. I mean, that's kind of a curse word. It's great. It's magnificent. It's powerful. It's not common in quality. It's common in quantity meaning that everyone that accepts Christ gets the same salvation. It's common. And latent within the box are a lot of incredible things. I will talk about those today. Now, I will say this. Jesus died the worst death. He went to a cross with our name on it. Don't forget that. Don't don't just go through the, the, the rigmarole, the motions of church. Man, we need to realize that Jesus died in our place. And, you know, theologians will tell you that every demon was insulting him. He had the weight of our sin and sickness on him. It was, it was awful. God turned his back on Jesus at that, at that spot. He paid the price. 
And yet I marvel sometimes on how some people, they don't know whether or not they're right with God, whether or not they're going to heaven when they die. Some people with the best intentions, they make the decision, you know what, I, I'm going to do everything I can do, but I really don't know. And it's, it, it creates this unsettled feeling in their heart and really an unsettled walk with God. This isn't really the crux of my message, but I want to deal with this first. First John chapter 5, the apostle John writes this. He says, I have written these things so that you that believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Guys, don't put something so important as your eternal salvation to chance. John says you need to know and that you can know. You can have a handle on these things and understand I am saved. So write this down. When we accept Christ, we can know that we have eternal life. So, so important. Now, within this package that we receive called common salvation, there is more than just heaven to gain. Now, at no time during this message do I want you to think that I am diminishing the importance of heaven and, and the literal eternal life when we leave this earth. I am not at all. But there's whole denominations and, and people that don't know or recognize that God has indeed given us more than just eternal life. That would be enough, but, but he has given us more than eternal life. They don't even acknowledge those things. And when you listen to them, you'd think that the total emphasis of everything Jesus did was just the forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin is massive. We don't have anything without it. But he did a lot of other things and said a lot of other things that I think that maybe in some misplaced version of humility, focusing on this great work of forgiveness of sins and what Calvary produced for eternity, we diminish, unfortunately, which is not humble at all, the great things that he has provided for us. I hear people say, well, I'm just a forgiven sinner. Friend, forgiveness from sin is amazing, and it affords us eternal life. But is that all that we are, just forgiven sinners? Write this down. I'm going to make this point, and I'm going to spend our time together today unpacking this. Eternal life is more than just going to heaven. When we receive eternal life from God, here it is, it changes us. Have you ever heard me pray at the end of a service that eternal life doesn't start when you die, it starts the moment you accept Christ? This is what I mean. You're not waiting to die to experience eternal life. Eternal life floods into your life the moment that you accept Jesus as Lord of your life. Now, the Apostle Paul and I we have an understanding. He has very much the same personality type as me. I enjoy, some people don't, I enjoy reading First and Second Corinthians. Uh, some of my buddies I went to school with, they called those the Corinthian spank because Paul is just tearing them one. And they were wild. Not like us, like in a fun way. We're fun wild. They're nuts. And they would have a communion service that was something like a Baptist potluck, okay? They weren't eating fish food and welches like we do, okay? They had communion, baby. We got food. But they got these big honking polo-looking guys that are edging out these little old ladies. They can't get any food during communion. There was one man, and he was sleeping with his dad's remarried wife, his stepmom. And you think, well, Pastor, that's too far. It's written in your Bible. I can prove you I didn't read it. Write it. That, that's written in there. There's all kinds of sin that's happening. And, and unfortunately, fights are breaking out in church. 
you ever read that part where it says that women should remain silent in the church? It's not saying that y'all can't talk or anything like that. What would happen is the tradition in the Middle East was women would be on one side, men would be on the other, and the, the woman would go, George, I don't know what he's saying. I, I don't know if I really believe that. And, and they'd start bickering back and forth. You'd have families break out into fist fights in the middle of church. Now, I got to tell you, I came from a rough background, but we never did that in church. We acted right when we went to church. <laughs> Loudest laughs came from the front row. <laughs> And so Paul is writing them, and he's trying to correct this behavior. This is what he says. He says, you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal? Behaving like mere men. What's he trying to say there? Well, first of all, Christians can act like the world. But because you're different than the world, it's implying you're acting carnal. It's not just worldliness. It's, it's beneath you it would be, I, I would say, another way of articulating what Paul is trying to convey. You're acting like mere men. Here's another implication. That means that there's something greater, a, a higher level that you should be living on. Paul is contending for this better way. Now, that's 1 Corinthians. They didn't have enough. And so he had to write again in 2 Corinthians. And this is what he writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you don't hear another word I preach... If you get nothing else out of this message, get this scripture in your spirit, write it down, tattoo it on your arm. Well, Hunter, don't do that, but, but, but everybody else, <laughs> get this in you. This is massive. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You've heard it before, yeah? That you're not who you were. That you're, 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 it's the Christian doctrine of being regenerated. Yep. Now, here's the question that people have, and they have it in different denominations and backgrounds. Where? I don't get it, Pastor Joe, because the me on the outside, I got saved one day, and the next day I woke up, and I had a lust for some of the same crazy stuff I was doing. I still got my mouth got me in trouble, or maybe in the other way, my mouth not saying anything, that got me in trouble, or, or I didn't stand up when I should. All these different things, right? It's like, I'm made new, question where? I'm so glad you asked. Y'all set me up so well in these messages. The Bible says that we were made in the image of God. You know that? You're made in the image of God. And we know that that means that you know, God has a human physique, a, a figure of a man. We know that because Jesus was the express image of the Father. And if Jesus was the express image of the Father and God didn't look in a bodily form like this, and he looked like something with an elephant and had 27 hands going out like it does at the Indian restaurant, you know, that's what Jesus would have looked like. But we know we were made in the image of God, and that has a physical ramification. Did you know you're also made in the image of God holistically? Let me explain that. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. You are made in the image of God. You, God is a tripartite being. I'm not talking about three gods. God is one. He's one. But he expresses himself in three personalities. You are one, but you have three different elements. This is what we would call theologically Christian anthropology Whew, for most of the room. It's okay. Here's what I mean by it. When you accept Christ and you become born again, you become new, it is not your body. If you had a crooked nose at the altar call, honey, when you left church, you still had a crooked nose. 
God ain't going to change that to the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> if you cuss like a sailor, if you're a person that was all depressed and lowly and you had an Eeyore spirit about you, you can get born again. There's, there might be a little spillover. I believe that. Uh, that old uh, hymn that we sing, Amazing Grace, talks about the hour you first believed. and It is exciting. You might be on fire for a little bit. There's a little spillover from your spirit to your soul. But really, when you wake up the next day, you might not feel saved. We just take a second and talk to my people. When I wake up in the morning, your pastor does not feel saved. I feel like, thank God I'm alive, but I need coffee. And Lord, I love you, but if I say anything else, it might not be what I really mean. And so God, i got to get down to that little Keurig and put that little pot in there to make this day happen, you know? I don't feel saved. I, who, okay, polling, just non-scientific poll. Who's waking up in the room feeling saved? Yeah, does that help anybody else? Salvation's not what you feel like. It's the decision you made. Say amen. And so, guys, i got to get back to my notes. But praise God. Here's what I'm trying to say is that where are we saved? Your spirit is born again. The deepest part of you before Christ was dead. It was stony. It didn't have a drop of life in it. God created you in your mother's womb. And the way things were supposed to go is you were never supposed to die spiritually. But Billy Graham calls it the age of accountability. It's when a kid knows what he's doing enough to sin and something inside. The lights go off, everybody. That wasn't funny, but praise God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they're not all winners. You could save that for when it's not funny and laugh and just help a brother out. But okay, moving on. <laughs> guys are silly today. I don't know what's in it. Okay. The deepest, I had my coffee, the deepest part of you is saved, but your body isn't. Your soul isn't. The Bible says that's our responsibility. Romans 12, 2, therefore be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is your soul? Your mind, will, and emotions. Part of that is your physical brain. Part of it is the bridge over to your spirit. And so none of that. We have a responsibility to renew our mind. There's some things that we can do, grafting it from the Bible to live a healthy life for our body. God gives, a, uh, gives us a down payment on the regenerated body, the glorified body, in the form of being able to believe God for healing, Jehovah Rapha, he calls himself. But ultimately, you're going to die. And so the newness of life is in the deepest part of you, the truest you. It's a spiritual regeneration. Okay, anybody in the room ever hit a spot in your walk with God where you got angry at Adam? Let me tell you why you got angry. That's why I got angry. What is this guy doing? Let me do it. He had one job. Don't eat this. For, I mean, what was the guy on? 600-pound life? Get, get real. Leave it alone. And one person's going to eat that fruit. And then all of us, all of mankind from there on out, ends up dying spiritually? Doesn't seem fair, does it? Doesn't seem right. That made me very upset early on in my walk with God. I said, God, it's not fair. Sin works like a genetic disorder. It's a curse. It's a spiritual curse. And both males and females are people that can have it. They can have this. They're, they're carriers. But it's only a man that can actually pass it down to the next generation. Now, it is 2021, so I'm going to break this down pretty simple. It takes a man and a woman to come together to make babies, okay? Revolutionary teaching that you get at New Chapel. Why? I, right. Like, why do we get amens on that? I don't know, but it's just logistics, buddy. And so 
the man, because a man's involved, all of our offspring, whether male or female, think of it like a genetic disorder, right? This curse, they have sin. That is why the virgin birth is so defended by the Roman church, evangelicals, most mainline denominations, is because when the seed of the Holy Spirit went in, all of a sudden you have a baby being born that does not have the sin gene, the curse on his life. What was Jesus when he came out? 100% man, 100% God, all at the same time. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? And so you see Jesus come in in that state of being. Now, we're still upset with Adam. Let me read this. This is going to help you. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, it's talking about Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Verse 15. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift, that's salvation, by the grace of of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Listen to me. If one man in our most primitive time, our, our greatest ancestor, if one man can mess it up for all of mankind, it only takes one man spiritually to earn it all back for us. Do you see that? Now, that's the incredible thing. We can't put the genie back in the bottle. We can't get us all together and thin us out to one family again. So that's how, when we accept Christ, spiritually we're grafted in to one family. Wow. Now, that means that Jesus, as that one man, has a place that's different than any other. Now, here's how Jesus does this thing, how he regenerates us. John's Gospel 3 and verse 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Y'all look at me before I read. Nicodemus is a good guy. He's a boy scout. He's a religious leader, and he goes to Jesus at night to ask him questions. Well, when I initially read that, it makes me think of people in the Bible like Gideon. I think he's lily livered. He's yellow belly, you know, like go talk to Jesus in daylight. But really, he's actually trying to protect Jesus in many ways and protect himself because this is such a socially tense time. And there's wisdom in how you deal with people in a socially tense time. And so Nicodemus is talking, and he's trying to reason with Jesus, and they're playing tennis back and forth. And it, it's not, when you, when you read this question that Nicodemus asks, it is not him questioning Jesus in an undermining way. He really is trying to understand it. We think that things like this are like Greek, like the Socratic method. The way that Jewish people spoke to each other back in this time period exceeds that, and it was a very elegant way. So Jesus is saying this. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again. Everybody say born again. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man, he was old at this time, go back into his mother's womb and be born again? He's not being facetious. Verse 5, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. He clarifies what he just said right here. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now, what does he mean you got to be born of water and of spirit? This is Jesus in a very elegant way citing the fact that when a baby is born, the water breaks. That's what he's trying to say. He clarifies that in the next paragraph, and it's actually akin to the question that he was just asked, okay? I say that to say... Some people have taken this passage to mean if you're not water baptized, 
even though you might have full faith in Christ, you'll go and burn in hell. I got to tell you, that is from a mistranslation of the word baptize. The word is baptizo. It means to immerse. It wasn't until 1611 when King James was translating your Bible that he was taken over into English. His translators knew if they translated John the Immerser, they would be beheaded because of King James' doctrinal beliefs about baptizing children and sprinkle baptizing. It would have been John the Immerser. And so they made up a word. They went from Greek, baptizo, into English, Baptist, and John's been a Baptist ever since. (laughs) But you just ask your Baptist friends. It means to immerse. Fun fact, even if you're from the Orthodox branches of the church, Roman church, Greek Orthodox, isn't it funny that the Greek Orthodox baptized by immersion? Why? They know the language. They know what it's saying in the Bible. Okay, i got to move on and not just teach Bible school. Okay. When he says you must be born again, the water is talking about natural, physical birth. Being born again is that spiritual rebirth. We think that Jesus is just trying to get the sin out of our life. And listen, he has a plan to deal with sin. It's incredible. He's going to forgive us of these things. But we actually, as humankind, we have a bigger problem to deal with because sin doesn't come alone. It's the law of sin and death. Bible says in Ephesians that the wages of sin is death. And so we have this death issue to deal with, and the only thing that overcomes death is life. Kind of looking forward to spring already. Um, anybody else in the house of God just want to shame the devil, tell the truth? I done made the former Baptists lift their hands at New Chapel, praise God, but like, serious. And we know that spring's coming when all of a sudden you hear those birds you hear the, they got their nests going, the little eggs. You know it's for real. I don't know how the birds even know that it's not mud, it's not fake spring, it's not fake summer, and then winter again. It's the real spring, which is like the fourth or fifth try. The birds know. And you can hear the new life. How about this? I'm a father of four children. People ask, why do you have four children? Because we didn't want to have five, okay? But I will tell you, as I'm watching these kids come into the world, there's nothing like it. It's a miracle. It'll blow your mind, buddy. You, I, I'm going to tell you, anytime two people walk into a room and three walk out, you just had church, okay? Like, that got real. And the thing that overcomes death is life. And so it's no surprise that we, we hear Jesus use this example, and he's trying to say, look, this, this spiritual regeneration, it's like the dead part of you dies, and you're born again, you're new on the inside. Wow. And so the question was, Pastor, where does this happen? Write it down. When you accept Christ, we are spiritually born again. It is not your body that will happen when Jesus returns. It is not your soul. We have to renew our own minds. It is spiritually the deepest part of you. And and listen, with that, We have a responsibility to renew our mind. We have a responsibility to believe God for healing and to take care of our bodies. But ultimately, it is about living with eternity in mind. Now, about our sin being forgiven. Did you know that God had a way to deal with sin even in the Old Testament? Oh, yeah. They would sacrifice bulls and sheep and goats and lambs and have barbecue. In fact, theologians say that the old uh, tabernacle and temple smelled like a barbecue. Um, Josephus said the smoke rose straight in the air. It was an amazing sight. And they would sacrifice these animals. A priest would do it, a mediator between God and man. 
he would sacrifice these animals. And the idea was that they could have an atonement for sin. Atonement means covering. And so what would happen is the Jews would, would actually, it was all part of a whole sequence of holidays they'd live out in the course of a year. And they, we think of salvation as a very personal decision. They looked at it as an annual cycle, okay? And there would be sacrifices made in certain times. If you did sin, you'd still need to go take care of it. But they would have a covering. And if you died as a holy Jew before Jesus, you would actually go down to a place called paradise, a place called Abraham's bosom. Now, here's what this looked like. Come on, 80s kids. It looked like a Dr. Mario pill, okay? On one side, you had paradise, and on the other side, you had Hades. And the Bible says that this was in the depth of the earth. And in fact, the Bible says in Ephesians that when Jesus went down into the depths of the earth into Hades, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He went down there and preached Jesus to these, these Jews that were made holy under the law through sacrifice. Now, this is where the Roman church gets the idea of purgatory, which that doctrine is a false doctrine. But, and there is no more post-mortem repentance. Those Jews were already covered. Their sin was covered in that time. They were looking towards the Messiah. Jesus went down and said, here I am. Here we go. And he brought them up. Now, that, that part called paradise is actually ascended north of the earth and it's called heaven now. By the way, we'll be spending the month of November talking about eternity, specifically heaven for the month of November. You don't want to miss it. I'm learning things I've never seen before. But all that being said, when Jesus went into our life and, and made us born again and, and made us saved, it is different than just the forgiveness of sin in the Old Testament. Very, very profound. When people say, Pastor Joe, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you are actually saying the words that they would have said as a Jewish proselyte or a Jew, a holy Jew made righteous under the law according to atonement. I'm a sinner saved by grace is Jewish. It is not born-again New Testament Christian. We have to make that discernment. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's not very favorable to me. When I accepted Christ, I did so because I didn't want to go to hell. I remember watching people, especially when I rededicated when I was 17, and I was at a church just as wild as us, and I felt just like you. When I saw people lifting their hands, I went to a church growing up where the deacon would have taken a rubber band and swatted it at you, you know, like we were deacon-possessed, you know. And so I went into this church, I saw people, there passionate about worshiping the Lord. Oh, I love you, Jesus. And I got to tell you, I knew Jesus was the way. And I knew I didn't want to go to hell. So I, I became born again. I'm looking at all these people. I remember praying to God, God, help me. I think I even should feel like that, but I don't feel like what they feel like. These people, <laughs> these people are crazy, but like these people are passionate and they're in love with God. But I accepted Christ to avoid hell. So if God had provision to atone or to cover sin in the Old Testament, it would be very limited to say that, that all, that's all that what Jesus was trying to do is just have a different way to deal with sin altogether. Sin in the New Testament is not something that is atoned for. When you hear people say the atonement of Christ, they're off. Atonement is a covering. We don't need a covering anymore. It's, think about somebody's house. You walk in and the cat does something on the carpet. Number one, God don't like cats, okay? Get you a golden retriever, a golden doodle. House divided, I can tell. Move past it, Bev. Don't meddle, right? Dogs. God likes dogs. Big, dumb, emotionally shallow animal to smack his head into yours. Okay. 
What was I preaching about? Lord, help. Okay. I don't even remember. Praise God. If you have a cat do something on the carpet, does it make any sense to put paper towel over that and then just let the cat do it and you put some paper towel on him? That's Judaism. You don't need a covering, buddy. You need to be washed white as snow. And what Jesus does is he forgives. Yeah, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You don't need a covering for your sin. You need to be washed white as snow. No one in the Old Testament was born again. No one during Jesus' ministry was born again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the New Testament beginning, but the reality is those are four bridge books, transitional books, and write it down. If the only Jesus that you know is from the Gospels alone and not the epistles and the rest of the New Testament, honey, you don't know Jesus. Because there is a life of a born-again, recreated, regenerated Christian described at length in these epistles. I'm not saying that there isn't great, incredible edification of the Gospels. There is. But if you want to talk about the life of a born-again Christian, that's where you need to look. And in the New Testament, the Bible says we have a better covenant now in the New Testament. The New Testament has better promises, great and precious promises. And so when Jesus resurrected, he sealed this covenant with, with his blood, and it has incredible blessings that are in the common salvation you received. If you're born again, believer, follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus, you have these blessings. You haven't mined them out yet, maybe, but you have them. They're your possession altogether. I marvel. When I hear some people or some denominations or some preacher go on and they start to choke on the thought that God wants to bless you, oh, they don't like it because they look at it as disingenuous. Buddy, go talk to a Jew and try to talk them out of their material covenant with God. Good luck. You can't do it. It's the reason why Kessler's owns all the diamonds. You know what I'm talking about? Shalom. I'm telling you right now, without fear of contradiction, the stereotype stands. Why? They're incredible business people because they know they have a material covenant with God. Now, the same people, the, the, the Jewish people, they're not born again. I mean, unless we're talking about a messianic Jew that did accept Christ. They believe in their covenant. Try to talk to them out of their property over there in Israel. Ain't happening, toots. That's mine. It's mine. But we think that we're disingenuous or not humble when we say, that's mine. You see it? I marvel when Christians begin to choke up when they start talking about how God wants to heal you. The Jewish people have a covenant with God. It's based in Deuteronomy chapter 28. You can read through it. Couple that, Bible scholar, with Galatians chapter 3 that both says you're redeemed from the curse of the law and then also you're subject to the blessings described in Romans, I'm sorry, uh, Deuteronomy 28. Buddy, you got a covenant with God. But yet we choke on that. We feel like we're not humble if we ask God Almighty. But the book of Hebrews says that we are to come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, now here's what we're missing. At the same time that we feel disingenuous or lack of humility in asking God to bless us or asking God to take care of our physical bodies, we feel like just the forgiveness is enough, you have the same people saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You sound like Eeyore spirit on your life. 
and that's Jewish, but yet you won't look back at your Jewish brothers and say, they're, they got a material covenant with God, and the Bible says that we have a, a better covenant, a great and better covenant in the New Testament. Do you see what I'm talking about? We can't miss these things, gang. And so think about it. If salvation was just getting to heaven, and it had nothing to do with a born-again change that happens in your life, you're not marked by it, why not just live like the devil until you're just, before you die, say the sinner's prayer and go to heaven? Oh, Pastor Joe, that's, that's disingenuous. That's not how it's supposed to work. I'm so glad you brought that up. So, so you think it's disingenuous, but yet you still don't think a change has happened. Good. Why don't you come down for baptism, and we'll do half baptisms, half off. I'll just hold you down. I'll do your funeral for free. I want you to be a person that lives by conviction. No! We have historical record back from when the Jews were, were baptizing people to be proselytes. It was by immersion, and it is to show the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in you. We say it's an outward sign of an inward work. Do we believe that it is? Do we believe that our deepest being, that part of us that hated God had enmity against him, we believe that's dead, and do we believe that a new life is there? Do we believe that God has made us new and fresh? I hope that you do, because, friend, listen. If you miss that, you've missed everything. There are no sinners in heaven. Stop saying you're just a sinner. Wow. I was trying to understand this when I was super young. My dad, he was a real Bible scholar. Uh, he wasn't. Um, he was a designer at Steelcase and Harriman Miller, did furniture design, industrial designer. And I said, Dad, what do we believe? He said, you know Billy Graham? I said, yeah. He said, whatever he says, that's what we believe. Very eloquent speaker, my dad. And I was, and so <laughs> you have parents like that. And so I accepted Christ, and I was trying to figure out, like, Dad, I still want to do crazy things. And he told me this story. He said that there was two Indians that were on a canoe in the Muskegon River. And they're going through, and there's, there's the old father. He was the chief of the local tribe. And he was going through, and they were going towards Happy Hunting Land. And his son was with him. It was his protege. You could see the Indian's face was all worn and old, and it wouldn't be long before he'd pass away, even though he was strong and proud. And they got to the banks right next to the Muskegon River, and they got out, and the son couldn't take it anymore. And he said, Dad, I feel like I'm not going to be the man that you are. I need to be a leader. What makes a great man? And the old Indian took his walking stick, and he stood proud. And he said, son, within every man, there are two wolves, a good wolf and a bad wolf. And he said, in my life, I've endeavored to let the good wolf win. Well, which wolf is going to be the one that wins? And the old Indian looked down, and he looked up from experience, and he said, the one that you feed him the most The only problem with that story is it's totally unscriptural. I'll give you all your amens back. You are not a two-natured freak. There is not within you a good wolf and a bad wolf. There is a new wolf and a dead wolf. Friend, you are born again. 
When you accept Christ, he recreates you, the deepest part. Colossians 2 says it so well. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. I can tell you physically I'm not complete. I'm still a work in progress. I know, I know I look like a Greek god. I get it, but it's still, it's still God has more. And then with my mind, I'm still not complete. Where is it complete? The spirit, right? You are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. This will divide the kids from the adults in the room. The Jews would have a circumcision, the cutting away of flesh, and it was a sign in an intimate way of their covenant with God. Whether you get your kids circumcised or not, small wars have been fought about that in the last couple years by Karen, but beyond all of that, the most important thing is when you accept Christ, you experience a spiritual circumcision, meaning that the part of you that was hidden from God, that dead part, is cut away and the new life begins. And here's what I want to zero in on. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Side with the Bible on this, friend. It was the cutting away of your sinful nature. It was the cutting away. Well, Pastor Joe, I still sin. Buddy, you're in good company. I'll tell you about all of that. But write this down. Born again believers are not sinners by nature. God took that nature from you and gave you a new nature. Well, what am I, Pastor Joe? If I'm not a sinner anymore and I'm made new in the inside, what am I? Who am I? I'm glad you brought it up. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him righteous. If you're born again, friend, look at me. Look at me. I love you. You're righteous. I didn't say you're holy. You're not holy. You're going to spend the rest of this life, and I'm convinced a lot of eternity, to become more and more like God, become more and more sanctified, to become more holy. But the word righteousness and holiness, we think it's the same thing. It's not. You are the righteousness of God, meaning this. He has made it so you can be in right standing with him. This is crazy, but like I said, in Hebrews, you can walk into the throne room just as though you were swinging open the doors that are in the back of the sanctuary. Dad, I messed up again. I really messed up this one time. Help me out. I messed up a relationship. You can go boldly to the throne and not have to be all shamed and hide away and try to sew up for yourself to covering. You can be bold with your God. You can be bold with your God in relationship. You can stand eye to eye with Jesus let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God not equal in intrinsic value it means to stand there you're not standing there because you're so good friend you're standing there because you are spiritually in Christ you are standing in him and now as a son of the most high God you can stand in the presence of God whoa buddy that blows your mind well, Pastor Joe, what about the sinful nature? What about all of those different things? Well, let me tell you this first. As a born-again believer, that part that's changed on the inside of you, it wants to go to church. Jesus died to build something, and it was his church. It wants to serve him. It wants to be generous. It wants to love the unlovable. It wants to be generous to people who might not deserve it. 
wants godly things. And so when we think about the two wolves and you're like, yes, it's not that way. Where does sin dwell? Because I don't deny the fact that we sin. Neither did the Apostle Paul. He says this in Romans 7. I thank God through Jesus Christ. He continues on to say, so then I of myself, with the mind and deeds are the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. We have all kinds of desires, don't we? Cravings for things that are beyond what we need. You know what lust is? It's an unregulated desire. When you get excited about, I don't know, like for me, a pecan pie. Jesus, I felt the Holy Ghost when I said that. We get excited about that, and it's fine. There's nothing wrong with the desire to have a piece of pecan pie. I think it's godly. What's wrong, Joe, eating the whole pie alone when everybody goes out shopping the day after Thanksgiving? That's wrong. And then to say that bocce ate it, that's a sin. That's a lie. That's our dog, our golden doodle. Sex between a man and a woman in the confines of a covenant marriage. Oh, it's beautiful. It's kind of neat. We get cool little rings in the club, and we get to have sleepovers, and it's fun. Come on, married people. It's a fun club. <laughs> Scattered applause. <laughs> I didn't give an altar call for that one. <laughs> but when it's an unregulated desire and it's outside of marriage, it's not good for you, friend. Where do those things, it's the wanting. It's our flesh. And then your mind is, is still attached to this brain, like, like, like your soul still has a stitch in, in reality. And so you're, you're pulled in that way, but you don't have two natures. The truest you wants to serve God. I remember hating Sundays. It was just the day before we had to go back to work. Anybody else grow up like, like I don't want to, Sunday, nothing's happening. I have to go to bed on a, on a reasonable time. Now I wake up and I'm excited. I'm excited to spend time with God. I'm excited to pray. I'm excited to serve the Lord. And friend, that's your truest nature. You might war, but it's not your nature. It's your flesh, and we can learn how to manage all of it. Write it down. Your new nature is the nature of an overcomer. People say, Pastor Joe, how do I overcome that, that craving, that lust, that desire? How do I change and I'll tell you that it's something that your new nature has the ability to overcome. It's, it's part of the common salvation. You have the capacity within you. This isn't new age. I'm not talking about before Christ. I'm talking about what God deposited in you in your common salvation. You can overcome and you can become a person that triumphs. I want to talk about that word for just a second, the moments we have left. The Bible word triumph, uh, for all my nerds in the house, is the Greek word trombeo, and it's describing something. It's not just so much a definition. It's describing this great uh, parade. Now imagine back in antiquity, you would have city-states. Uh, these countries weren't just like, this is the country and these are the borders. Sometimes they would isolate themselves to capital cities and things like that. And there were seasons where they would go to war. Well, when they would go to war with one another, you'd have uh, the two guys meet in some battlefield I'm imagining, and one person's going to win. Here's what would happen. The conquering king would then go to the capital city and break open, open the boundaries and find anything that was stolen by the enemy and immediately take that back. But not just to take back what the enemy stole. Also, they would take back spoils of war. 
In other words, you shouldn't have messed with us in the first place. And so we're taking a little tax called the stupid tax. You were stupid. You lost. I'm taking spoils of war. They were typically good to the people of the country, but they would find out who the leaders were military and civic leaders and they say come on you caused all this trouble i'm not saying that the government causes all the trouble in the world but they certainly do and so (laughs) they would find the leaders and they would get them and take them into captivity and then they would go up in that high tower and find the king or the emperor and they'd take him and he'd be at the back and they'd start to parade to march towards their home city state wow when they would get there, they'd be playing music and yelling loudly, and they'd have some riders go on before to gather everybody together, and they'd have like a ticker tape parade. People would be celebrating in the streets, excited. We won, you know. We're not getting our stuff stolen from, you know. And, and so they'd be excited about it. And, and you'd see the king, he'd be at the front of the processional. He'd be showing everybody, I'm here. See, I won. And then his guys, his tough guys behind him. You know, then the military all marching in flank, and then the spoils, the things that were taken back from the enemy. And at the end, you'd see the leaders, they'd start leaving the city state, typically clothed in whatever they found them in. By the time they got to the, the, the conquering city, they were typically naked, stripped bare. People were spitting on them, throwing rotten food on them, punching them, mocking them. At one moment, Like hours ago, this man was a king, and then he was defeated. And that, my friends, is the word picture trombeo to triumph that the Bible gives us in Colossians, the last scripture I'm going to read for you. And you, being dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he was made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Rick Renner, the Greek scholar, took verse 15 alone, and he actually expanded it. He took a little bit of liberty. I don't really think he took a lot because trombeo is a long description. It's not just one thing. This is what he would convey from Colossians in the 15th, uh, 2.15. He gallantly, Jesus gallantly strode into heaven to celebrate his victory and the defeat of Satan. I hope you get loud in this. The defeat of Satan and his forces. As part of his triumphal process, he flaunted the spoils seized from the hand of the enemy. Yet the greatest spectacle of all occurred when the enemy himself was openly put on display as bound, disgraced, disabled, defeated, humiliated, and stripped buck naked in Jesus' name. Friend, friend, not for one minute will I ever discount the forgiveness that my God gave me. I was the worst of sinners. And in that forgiveness, I was born again. But eternal life didn't start when I'm going to die someday. Eternal life rushed into my spirit the moment that I accepted Christ. Hallelujah. And I'm here to tell you that that, that, that conquering spirit is within me. And if you're saved, it's within you. You are not some lowly sinner saved by grace, 
once you've accepted Christ, you leave the nature of a sinner. It's cut from you whether or not you like it or not. That you become a person who is one with Christ. You are not a lowly sinner saved by grace. You are a born-again, spirit-empowered child of the Most High God. That's who you are. And you were made to triumph. You know, we're living in wild times in this world, and there's a lot of giant forces against us. And I believe this, that there's a purpose for something under heaven. Everything has a purpose. Giants were made for kicking their butt. You have an overcoming spirit within you, a triumphing spirit. Not because you're so tough, but because the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is within you. Wow. No sin is too big for our God. And he wants to take you to places you can never imagine. Wow. He forgives us and sets our feet on a rock. And in to take it all full circle, the family issues that we deal with, the financial crunch that we feel in this world, the issues that we feel in our health, the depression that knocks on the door of Michigan every time the sky turns white. We have within our common salvation all these precious promises to mine out and apply to this life so that we ourselves can triumph in this world. Do you see it, church? Hallelujah. This, this is brand new you. I hope you don't miss a week of this series. Next week, Pastor Robbie Emery is going to be preaching you up one side, down the other. Some of you are going to be in the corner sucking your thumbs. He's such a good preacher, I'm telling you. And then I'll be back the following week, hopefully having killed the most monster buck on earth. We'll be taking communion together, with, which I think is a special time for us as a New Chapel family. Every week of this series, it's going to get better, and Lord willing, we're going to take ground together as a church. Amen? Now, hallelujah. I've got some family business to do before we dismiss today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you came in here to church, you're in the sound of my voice, and you'd say, Pastor Joe... I love God, but I'm not right with God. Buddy, I'll tell you, don't leave this place the same way. You can be born again, changed in a moment. But you're going to have to broker that relationship with God. Good news, Jesus made that way. You can know that you're saved. You can know and have an assurance of your relationship with him. How do I do it, Pastor Joe? It's by you relenting control over your life. you got to stop being the God over your own life or letting someone else be the God over your life. And you have to make him God, Lord, boss. Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And the Bible says when you call him Lord, your sins are forgiven. You're born again. You're saved from that moment on. That gets you that eternity in heaven with him. But you'll also avoid the Christless hell all while doing it, that recreated spirit will have victory in it for this life today. Friend, if that's you in this room, we're going to say a prayer. If you mean it from your heart, you'll be saved. If you say it like it's religious poetry, vain repetition of a prayer, you'll leave the same way you walked in. But for many people, I sense this is your moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray this out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart, 
And with these words, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Praise God. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, the reason why we're excited is because we know the freedom of God that's in store for you, and it's because you accepted Christ. I want you to let us know about the decision that you made. You're going to see people who are first-time visitors. You're going to see people with prayer requests filling out that connection card that we talked about. You can fill that out and let us know about it. There's public things like baptism. This is private. It's between you and God. Now, if you want a prayer partner, we'll have people in the front before we dismiss today. But listen, we love you. We're proud of you. We want to send a note in the mail talking about the next steps that God has. He has huge things, the least of which is to fill out that connection card. Church, one more time, give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hallelujah. Hey, louder than that, from death to life. Come on. Hey, stand up on your feet. Did anybody get anything out of this message? You got something out of it? Good. Hey, I have a couple of announcements, and I'll get you the rest of your week. Robbie Emery, next week, I told you about that. He is the chaplain or the special advisor on paper for the University of Michigan football team. That's incredible. Now, if you're a state fan, come in to hear what the enemy's saying. But if you're a Michigan fan, bring somebody with you. And more important than what he does for the University of Michigan football is who he is as a man of God. He's a pastor and a great man of God. I can't wait to have you experience that. Communion on October 24th. And then finally, we're having our trunk or treat again this year on October 31st. And I'm excited about that. Uh, listen, we have a, a great display out inside our lobby and commons area. If you could go to Sam's Club or when you're at the grocery store, grab a good bag of candy and put it in there. We want to have an incredible trunk or treat. Pastor Joe, isn't Halloween all about the devil? Sure, let's hijack it and make it so people can come on the campus of a church, feed them with Reese's peanut butter cups in Jesus' name, and get them so we can invite them to come to church on a Sunday. Are you with me? Amen? Come on. Taking communion with a Snickers bar. Glory to God. Listen. Please do bring candy for that. It's an incredible event, and I encourage you, make plans to be there. If you can serve and be one of the cars that we can have for our trunk or treat, and theme out your car so kids can do that, I think it's going to be great. It's going to be a wholesome, wonderful night for our church. Make sure that you're there. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, as you go, have a great week. I love you. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. 